I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan. This is our Globalist in Plain Sight show that we run every Sunday. We're also going to be repeating this on American Conversations across America. We are honored today to have Seamus Bruner with us. Seamus, welcome to the show. Christine, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. Listen, we're having you on because uh, your book that just came out in November is terrific. I'm endorsing it. Everybody should get it. Put it underneath their Christmas tree, their New Year's wreath, their Easter bunny, if they're going to wait to buy it in the springtime. But this is a book that I'm fully endorsing because uh, Control of Arcs is a book that encompasses your business profiles, for lack of a better word, on people like Bill Gates, George Soros, Benzo, and the rest of them that are in the book. Seamus, I don't want you to give, you know, I want people to buy this book. I think it's a wealth of information. It ties a lot together because it, you know, in all the topics that we talked about in the quote unquote reset, you know, that Klaus Schwab, who's also in the book, uh, is pushing out, whether it's uh, pharmaceuticals, packaged in, you know, healthcare, one world global health under the WHO and the World Economic Forum in conjunction with the UN, or it's the food agriculture with the fake meat and the maggots and the insects that we're going to eat that Gates is involved with, with other people, again, with Klaus Schwab. It <clears throat> points out to me, and the reason why the manuscript is so valuable is because that it pulls together all the people that, and, and not every single person that's in the room, but a lot of the people that are in the room. How did you come to, to write this book? Let's do the background before we get into the substance of it. Sure. So I was approached by uh, the publisher. I've got a, a you know great publisher in Penguin Random House, the Sentinel imprint. And uh, I was approached to do a book on Bill Gates. It was, you know, he was a hot topic and uh, he was in the news. And I've been tracking Bill Gates's movements for many years. and. Um, but I thought, you know, he's just one guy and he's just one piece to the, the bigger puzzle of these uh, billionaires and bureaucrats who are plotting and scheming to dominate our lives. And so I, I said, well, why don't we make it a, a bigger book? And we will have Bill Gates as a central character. And I, I work with a guy, Peter Schweitzer. He's a, you know, Amer he's a hero, a national He's president. a hero and he's a good friend to all of us. Absolutely. He's, he's yeah, one, so he's one, you and he are a great team, you know, in the scheme of things and, and carrying on good investigative journalism. 
So I got to give him credit. He said, you got to bring in all the big tech guys on this. And I thought, yeah, I agree. And uh, Schweitzer has taught me how to follow the money. I've worked with him for over a decade. Um, and so that's what we do at the Government Accountability Institute is we follow the money. And so there's all these you know, theories and thoughts and pandemics. And so, so I wanted to kind of separate the fact from the fiction, use the money as a guide for what these guys are up to and map out all of their businesses. And it turns out, I mean, many people have heard that the pandemic was good to people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg for obvious reasons, right? We're all locked down, got to buy things on Amazon. You're scrolling Facebook for the latest guidance from the health officials. Um, well, they all doubled their net worth. So a lot of people know that. But what really blew me away is what they're doing with their new uh, ill-gotten gains. And that's a, that's a play on sick. <laughs> you know, while we're all locked down, they, they're getting rich. And now they're using this money to construct systems, tyrannical systems that are going to lock us into digital cages. I mean, it's already happening, uh, you know, and it's eventually leading to a social credit score type system. You know, it's not going to be obvious, like all of a sudden when AI has upended your life, it's, it's going to happen bit by bit, like uh, the boiling of a frog. But they, they want things like universal basic income, uh, that UBI check will replace your lost wages if you lose your job uh, to the to the AI uh, or the robots. Um, and, and it's happening every day. I mean, I just read an article from Microsoft um, that radiologists are now obsolete. Uh, the, the AI is going to be able to look at x-rays and scans a whole lot better than any of your radiology techs. So um, the job losses are coming. I wanted to put all of that in there. And uh, what these guys, you know, they're, they're, it's full speed ahead. So I thought it was very interesting when you talk about, um, you know, smart cities, smart homes, smart communities, you know, and, and I am not a tech person. Everybody in the world knows that. I did not own an iPhone until I worked with John Solomon in 2020. He told me, Dolan, you have to get a Mac. You got to get an iPhone. I've been doing my investigative work with a flip phone. that's a burner that can't be traced for security reasons. But I thought it was very, very interesting. <coughs> Pardon me. In the book, when you talk about the manipulation of people's thermostats, so you know what, once you get a smart thermostat, not only can it be hacked, but it can be intentionally hacked to jack up your prices. So when you when you you know started cross referencing as we all do as, as investigative journalists and took a look at this. Did you come away with the fact that these guys have no morals? Yeah, they're they're all godless for the most part. I mean, you know, George Soros has, and I lead each chapter off with you a do, with with an epigraph quote. And mm -hmm. so the one for George Soros is particularly disturbing. His chapter, uh, you know, he says, I, I have some powerful messianic fantasies. I fancy myself as a type of God. And you can see why. I mean, the guy can bankrupt an entire nation with a phone call and he's been doing it for 30, <laughs> 50 years. Um, and so, yeah, these, these guys have like God complexes on steroids. They want to be gods. They think of themselves as gods. There's a, there's a great quote in the book from a MIT computer science professor, Joseph Wiesenbaum, who is sort of against this AI dystopian hellscape that they're constructing. And he talks about why, why these big tech oligarchs, um, you know, think that they can control our lives. And it's uh, because they've built these digital worlds and they're the gods in their digital worlds where whether it's Facebook or Instagram or, or uh, you know, Microsoft. And when they turn the dials and pull the levers in their digital worlds, they get their intended results. Well, they want to export that, copy paste that into the real world. 
Uh, and the problem is, you know, we don't want to be controlled. We don't want them pulling our levers and turning our dials, and which is why they're getting more aggressive with their strategy. So on the on the smart thermostat thing, uh, you know, I thought, oh, that's you know, that there's no way that they can actually remotely control the temperature in your home. No, they absolutely have. Just ask the residents of Denver, Colorado, who right. woke up in the middle of a heat wave in the middle of the night sweating, uh, and they go to the thermostat and try to turn it down, and it's locked at 80, 78, 80 degrees. Um, and they didn't realize that like when they signed up for the, you know, it's, it's sold to you this way and you'll see it. I mean, I've gotten promotions from my own utility companies, like join our smart meter program. You could save 30 bucks a month. And, uh, you don't realize down in the fine print is that if there's some sort of uh, surge or, you know, too heavy load on the power grid, maybe because everybody's buying uh, electric vehicles and charging them at the same time overnight, um, the utility company is going to have to monitor and, 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 and dial you back, throttle back your electricity usage. And that would be through your smart thermostat. So Jeff Bezos is working, you know, Amazon and Alexa, Google's got its Nest smart thermostat. And so this, ca this capability is absolutely in millions of homes as we speak. Uh, Texas, they've, they've had situations where residents lost control of their home thermostat. California, I mean, you know, Gavin Newsom is just salivating over the ability to turn his residents' uh, heat up in the middle of the summer or uh, turn their uh, heat off in the middle of the winter. You know, you'll wake up shivering uh, in the middle of the winter. So it's uh, it's very unfortunate. And then we just saw Congress passes this kill switch, uh, ban this kill switch uh, mandate for every vehicle uh, manufactured after the year 2026. So just a couple of years from now, every new vehicle will have a kill switch built in now they say this is for your safety they always say that it's for your safety sure um, either it's either your safety or your convenience this one's safety well, safety convenience and sustainability of the planet you know if you don't do it they're going to guilt you into not following their narrative of consumerism i mean what, what we're seeing and it really came off the pages to me in your writings and it, it's very well written by the way it's eloquent that the there's a trajectory here where it's it, it, it's you, when Klaus Schwab comes out and says, you know, you, you you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Well, if you're a robot, maybe so. But we're not robots. All right. But they have every intention of replacing us with robots and they have every intention of taking over our lives and having us live it as if we're robots. But the what I think is just extraordinary is the. And I think back to the Gilded Age, and you do talk about the comparisons in the book between Gates <clears throat> and his father's connections to the Rockefeller Foundation and you know the trajectory and the historical evolution of that business model with the Rockefellers, which Gates is employing. But I have said this publicly, especially during COVID, I don't believe anybody in the world would listen to Bill Gates if he didn't have money. I really mean that um, because he's he, he lacks the compassion for other people and what he sells is is, is gold that really is a brick. Um, did when what was most surprising to you? Because I mean, you're you know you're high up there. You've done these investigations. You have followed Bill Gates for a long period of time. It's not like we're you know we're newbies to investigative journalism. But there's always a surprise. What was your surprise as, as you examined all these people? 
Well, it would have to be, um, you know, well, one that Bill Gates, you know, I looked up to Bill Gates. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, as a child or, you know, growing up in the 90s and, uh, you know, early 2000s and going into college, you know, before I before I knew the real Bill Gates, I looked at, you know, most people did. He's the world's richest man. He's built this huge company. Everybody loves, uh, you know, using computers and Microsoft. And I mean, I wrote the book on Microsoft Word, you know, the spell checker was quite handy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you know, only until really, be- I mean, it was before the pandemic. He wasn't really all up in our business and in our lives until the pandemic. He was sort of just. Oh, yes, he was. He was. But publicly. Well, not, he, not publicly. But, but, think, but think about this. His business model from the very beginning, he was a little nefarious, just like uh, Zuckerberg is um, starting out, but with Paul Allen. But at the same time, you know, he created a model. And I remember this because before, you know, Solomon told me to get a Mac in 2020 with an iPhone, you know, I was using PC for years. And every time that my computer went down, it was a great business model because if I had Windows 5, well, I had to buy Windows 8, you know, on the, right. on the new one. So it was a reoccurring economic model, which made sense to me why he got into you know, he got into COVID because if you want to have a mandated seasonal COVID vaccination for all the coronaviruses that, that can be humanized in these crazy labs in 35 countries across the world, which I call Frankenstein science, that's a reoccurring business model. So he right. never, to me, I, and I see this in Western civilization, I see this in Asia, I see this in Africa. People think if people have money like Bill Gates, oh, they must be altruistic because they call themselves philanthropists. So when was your light bulb moment of realizing that he wasn't that that nice of a guy? Well, so it was that was it, that was in the Gates research. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to go back and dredge up all the ancient history, but I'm sort of like a root ca- cause analysis guy. I got to go back and see where this guy came from. So I, you know, it turns out his father uh, and his mother really made him as most people's parents do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, he's not the self-made uh, billionaire tinkering in his garage building the the you know the brilliant products that he's. He hasn't coded or programmed a, a device since the '70s. It was this, you know, a TRS-86, uh, you know, basically a graphing calculator. So uh, with the Windows operating system, that was the QDOS, quick and dirty operating system, built by someone else. He bought it. Right. Um, his father. His father was an intellectual property attorney. And so when I started looking into his father, I was like, oh, this guy is actually the real Bill Gates. And his, his name is Bill Gates, William Gates, uh, you know, the elder. Yeah, he, it was actually funny. During the research, they did a weird naming convention. So Bill Gates is the third, the one we know. His mm-hmm. father is the second, um, but he goes by Bill Jr. And his father goes by Bill Sr. So it was a little confusing. But um, yeah, so Bill Sr., it would be his dad. We'll call him Bill Sr., he was this intellectual property attorney. He sort of single-handedly uh, turned Seattle into this biotech hub, um, you know, before the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was founded. He worked with the University of Washington, uh, both of Bill Jr.'s, the one we know as Microsoft founder. Both of his parents were UW alums and uh, very instrumental in their program there and uh, had all these clients in Seattle, you know, the company that makes defibrillators and, and learned about uh, royalties and, and how to license products. Um, Bill Gates is just a, you know, a toddler or a teenager while his father's developing these 
these uh, type of business models that he actually had this thing called the Washington Research Foundation, which was a brilliant scheme to take taxpayer subsidized research from the university, uh, patent it and sort of like reverse merge it into a for profit corporation. And uh, you see that time and again, that Bill Gates Jr., the Microsoft guy, has sort of used taxpayer funding to come up with brilliant ideas and then get them patented so that he can profit from them. Um, actually, OpenAI is an example of this with ChatGPT. It starts out mm -hmm. as this sort of no nonprofit venture benefiting from tax-exempt uh, resources. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's it's flipped into a for-profit entity and it's a $90 billion company. Now, we don't get to see any of those profits. They they socialize the losses and they privatize the profits. And so that was, right. you know, maybe not so surprising. You know, Bill Gates, the cutthroat monopolist, it got, you know, he got into trouble with the antitrust division. I uncovered this embrace, uh, embrace extend, extinguish strategy, which is exactly what he's using in the farming industry. Microsoft used this strategy embrace, extend, extinguish, where they would cut off the air supply to the competition. And so they start by sort of just setting up shop in, in a given industry um, with Bill Gates and the farming. He starts buying up farms, investing in fertilizer companies, investing in even fake meat companies like Beyond Meats, Impossible Foods. Then he extends his reach. He buys more and more of it. He's now uh, close to 300,000 acres. I mean, largest private individual landowner in the United States. Um, buying up all these farms across the country. Uh, that's the extend phase. And now we're in the extinguish phase. And that's where right. uh, he explain, cuts off the air supply to the competitors. Ex yeah. Explain that because you do mention that in the book. I mean, his his motto that ends up with extinction. But it, 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 I mean, he, he admits to being an exploiter. Yep. It's, uh, it, it, they, they called it. It's in the emails. The Justice Department uncovered this. Uh, embrace, extend, extinguish. Alternatively, embrace, extend, exterminate. The Microsoft executives would also call it exterminate, which is which means quite sinister. Which means right? Yeah, to to their competitors. So they did it in the like to the browsers. They you know Netscape. They and so like the way they cut off the air supply. That's a direct quote. We cut off the air supply to the competition. Is they push for regulations and changes in the standards. And so you know maybe it's that you know videos won't play. You know, you, you lobby YouTube type thing so that a video won't play on a competitor's uh, internet browser and changes to the HTML, kind of highly technical stuff. But for the farmers, um, the farmers, uh, now they're having to grapple with all these climate change regulations where you can't use certain types of fertilizers or you, now you've got to, he's forcing, they're forcing farmers to use the new patented fertilizers in which Bill Gates and he partners with Monsanto and, you know, Bayer Monsanto, they've got this, uh, you know, BioWorks uh, initiative where they're setting up patented fertilizers. And now they're making all of the uh, alternatives illegal. I mean, this is why the Dutch farmers are up in arms, Canadian farmers, German farmers just mm -hmm. last week, French right. farmers are flinging manure over the government buildings in France. Um, and so what that's really all about is forcing the family owned farms, the generation owned farms out of business so that it can be all big corporate factory farms like the ones Bill Gates is invested in. Um, and they say this is for saving the planet, but I mean, it's, it's hilarious. It's, I mean, it, it, it would be hilarious if it weren't so tragic. Um, they're not saving the planet, obviously. I mean, that should, that, that should go without saying, but if you just look at the, their methods of farming, they're not sustainable at all. Uh, and they're using new chemicals, things without long-term studies done on them. They're using, uh, you know, these, these impossible foods and 
uh, beyond meats and the lab grown cell based meats and all, all these kind of alternative proteins. Many studies have been done showing that that's actually more carbon intensive to be growing meats in a lab. So um, there's nothing wrong with the cows. They taste delicious. Um, there's no reason to ban them. Ireland is actually working on a cow ban. They're preparing to slaughter up to 200,000 cattle. Um, and this is all from the World Economic Forum and, and people like Bill Gates. So, so you, you touch upon uh, in your chapters, and I think this is really important for people to understand. You know, in, I've been covering, you know, <laughs> politics now for over 40 years. So I've seen K Street grow. And when Ross Perot ran for president in 1992, you know, he focused on K Street and the corruption and the amount of money. And then, you know, by about 2008, you know, the political, the national political campaigns were spending eight billion, or I think that was the first year we got to one billion. I think this year it might be close to eight billion dollars by the time 2024 is over. And I've always, I've always been um, very leery, okay, of the level level of lobbying. And I think that now. You know, we, we probably, sorry, I think it's really in, important for people to understand that the, the lobbying influence can have a major change, not just on regulation, but on the vision going down the road, which is what we see with a lot of these billionaires, with the farming, with the technology, with the AI, with the, you know, mandated seasonal coronavirus, which actually is part of the Biden administration's policy as of September of 2021, when they officially made it, uh, announcement on that. But at the same time, you know, you talk in the book about the coziness between politicians and some of these billionaires. And it's easy for a billionaire to pick up a phone. Anybody's going to do it if your name is Bobby Kennedy, or if you've got a, you know, a wallet like Bill Gates or Soros. How, what's your take on that? Because to me, you know, we didn't have this a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago during the Gilded Age. We didn't have the lobbyists um, because we didn't have the regulations. Now, when I re read your book, it's very interesting how they will work to create a market and they'll work to regulate it and they'll use politicians to regulate, to compete. And you know, people like Bill Gates have been brought before the Justice Department years ago for antitrust regulations. So how does that square now where we have more of them having this reset vision in different industries and they're so cozy with some of these leaders? Uh, it's, it's incredible the amount of money that we're spending. So there's a number, I mean, there's a number of problems here, um, as I know you've documented, you know, extensively over the years. Um, and we've done at the Government Accountability Institute, mm -hmm. one of the books I worked. So first I'll talk about the, the money. I mean, the money, the amount of money that they are plundering from the coffers is unfathomable. Right. I mean, I've got over, it was 987 uh, billion uh, that they have spent on saving the planet of our money, the government, you know, whether it's things like the Paris Climate Accords, just over the years since 1990, we're close to a, a trillion dollars. I think we're now just about to pass a trillion dollars just on climate stuff, which is, I mean, and that's, you know, I mean, a trillion actually in the grand scheme of things may not sound like that much, but that's so much money. And they haven't done anything in terms of saving the planet. It's still a crisis. Well, so, they, they, you know, it's, it's what I think is so interesting, Seamus, is when they talk about, you know, it, they, they take these words about they want to save the planet, you know, the Agenda 2030 Sustainability Development Goal. 
goals. They talk about tackling hunger. They talk about tackling poverty. People have been talking about that since before I was born, all right? And at the same time, it hasn't come to fruition. You know, the numbers have maybe gone down in terms of poverty, but at the same time, there are certain things with people of this, this mass of wealth could have done as opposed and, and have it really altruistically helping people. And I don't mean handouts, all right? I'm talking about economic development as opposed to creating new supposedly answers to handle some of these world problems, but it really is for profiting their own wallets. Yeah, I mean, it's infuriating when you think about it because it's not just that they're stealing trillions, like money hand over fist from you, from, from future generations, just shackling our children and grandchildren with debts. It's, uh, it's that, and it's not just that they're taking that money to enrich themselves. I mean, I've got Bill Gates, you know, a hundred plus million dollars to his Terra power, you know, and all of these other ventures. He had a Sapphire energy biofuel venture that got, you know, I, I believe over 10 million, it might've been like 15 million in taxpayer funding that went belly up just like another little cylindra case. Um, and now it's not, you know, there at all, but they dumped the, the profits into their pockets. Um, but it's not just that they're taking the money. It's not just that they're uh, putting it in their own pockets or that they're using it to construct systems that are going to lock us into uh, reliance on them, whether it's, you know, Bill Gates with the Terra power and wanting to supply our electricity, which, you know, imagine Bill Gates is your utility. I mean, it would just be a nightmare. Well, but uh, the worst part, as you just kind of touched on, is the opportunity costs lost. I mean, we could actually be using this money for greatness. We we could be great. You know, we could be solving problems like crime and homelessness, uh, the the problems at the border. I mean, remember mm. back when they said that $5 billion was too much for Donald Trump's border wall. It's just a joke. They've spent that a thousand times over since then on nothing. Well, not only that, they've created a problem that's going to cost probably five times to get out of the problem that, that has been happening at the border since seven, almost eight million people have come through the United States through the border since Biden's been president in 2021. What about what was the most, I mean, shocking thing to you, the, the threads and the comparisons with these guys? Because I know in the book, you, 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 you talk about those that are in it for the money, for the profit. I mean, the, the, the greed on steroids. And then you compare it to, you know, even Soros. Not exactly. He's, he's really into the, the he, he's like the man, he's like the, the ATM machine that pays for the behavioral science. I mean, he really believes in the one world order. Some of these guys believe in the, you know, how much can I make from this one world order reset, you know, engine that I'm on. And, and, and they, the thing that I think is interesting is where Soros is on the financial side of it. A lot of these guys that are in the industries like the farming, like the AI, like the, 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 the uh, pharmaceuticals, they're all doing it with patents. It's going to be a good day. Morning, baby. Shipping beef this Monday. We do have a little bit left available here. Check us out, familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks. Have a good day.
yeah the patent the patents i mean it's sort of dry stuff it's uh but but the patents are critical um yes. the fact that they're patenting our food supply i mean i mean we we've heard about the patenting of seeds but now they're patenting protein chains and because people don't really like uh fake meats now they're trying to ban the real meats i mean it's like you know it's diabolical um, and then if they can't get a ban through, because I mean, nobody's going to stand for a ban on steak or something like that. I mean, they're passing gas vehicle bans in California. They just did it. They want to take away your gas stove. So don't think that they won't try to ban your meat, but if well, they can't, th if that's they can't what, ban it, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's, that's why I so appreciated um, your, your, your book is because it should make people think, if you think that they wouldn't try this, ladies and gentlemen, take a look behind the curtain because they're doing it. And where they're successful, they're going to push it even far farther. Exactly. And where and where they can't ban it, they've got other creative ways to do it. Like Bill Gates calls it a, a green premium where you artificially raise the cost of the, the, the non-climate change friendly thing, let's say steaks. And you uh, subsidize the cost of the green technology, let's say beyond meats. And so you may, you, you, I mean, every time I go to the grocery store, I don't know about you guys, but every time I go to the grocery store, steaks are more expensive. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you may get to a situation where it's $35, $50 for a ribeye. And you're going to say, I guess not, you know, maybe, maybe on Christmas we'll have steaks. So um, did you, you know, I, there was another surprise. <clears throat> Other than the the, the May 9th, uh, 2019 meeting, um, it's, it's at the very beginning of the book. Explain to the audience about that, because that, that should get people's attention. It certainly got my attention, and we've all lived through COVID, and this was about, you know, the pandemic coming down the pike that nobody, that, every, that everybody at their table foresaw, but not everybody else foresaw. Yeah. So I get, you know, you get asked all the time. We've thought about it for years. Do these guys really get together in a room and smoke cigars and, and plot about the domination of the world? Uh, yes, of course they do. Um, and one of these meetings is the so-called uh, Good Club meeting in May 2009. The, uh, Bill Gates convened it, but he sort of it was co-hosted. 2009 by, or 2019? It was 2009. 2009 that's this, right. this is, this is set, yeah, yeah. This is setting the stage for uh, climate change, really. But, you know, and they all... It's it's a long term plan here. What they've been working on, not not necessarily the pandemic, but just in general, the cause of overpopulation and how to bring down birth. I mean, it's been a sixty year plan actually. But they get together in uh, May two thousand nine. The context is Barack Obama has just been elected. They've all spent a great deal of money and in, in power and influence to get him there. Bill Gates is the uh, the main host. George Soros is the co host. David Rockefeller is the other co-host. So these three invite 12 of their best billionaire buddies to uh, Rockefeller University in Manhattan. They're in the uh, president's house, which is, you know, the nicest building there. And they're all, it's Oprah Winfrey is there, uh, Julian Robertson of Tiger Management, um, you know, Patty Stonecipher, who's really a lieutenant of Bill Gates and the Rockefellers. Um, uh, Oprah Winfrey, I might've mentioned. Uh, and anyway, there's about 15 of these guys. Ted Turner is there, who's notoriously uh, like this overpopulation type control freak um, thinks we should have a one child birth policy in America like they had in China. Anyway, so they get together and it's Barack Obama's just been uh, elected, uh, inaugurated. Uh, it's actually in the tail end of the global financial crisis. So there's a lot of populist uh, sentiment 
rising, you know, uh, populist, you know, uh, Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street's about to kick off in a couple of years. They can kind of sense that the peasant class is, is growing, uh, you know, angry that they, you know, they, they've all been foreclosed on and dumped into the pockets of like BlackRock and Goldman Sachs. Um, and so anyhow, they get together and they say, what should we do now? We've got this, this president in, he, he can really help us enact our agenda. Let's, let's uh, agree on an umbrella cause that we can all pour our, you know, pour our efforts into. And they all kick around some ideas and, you know, maybe it's uh, conservation or whatever. The, back then, climate change was not this hysterical thing it is today. And sure. this meeting really kicks off the climate change hysteria. And then this gets to the pandemic because climate change wasn't, you know, people have responded with a collective shrug about climate change. But um, at this meeting, they say, OK, overpopulation. And so the headlines from Wall Street Journal and the Sunday Times and others were billionaire bid to curb overpopulation. And that's what really shocked me. I mean, I remember in May 2009 when this article came out and I was kind of like, oh, like, you know, these guys are kind of kind of weirdos or whatever. But what shocked me in the in the research for this book is how far back these Malthusian, uh, you know, desires to control the level, you know, the number of people on planet Earth are. And uh, they, they think a lot of these people think a billion people is like the right around the sweet spot of number of people to have on planet Earth, maybe two billion. Uh, Jane Goodall has got this video where she's at the World Economic Forum saying that it should be 500 million. There's certainly people in this good club who think 500 million people on planet earth is the right number. And so that's just alarming, right? Um, well, but you go back. You get into the book though too, Shannon, about the fact that, you know, um, Bill's uh, father, Bill, let's just call him father, Bill Gates. Um, he actually, his, he was very much, he was head of Planned Parenthood at one, one time. He, when, when Bill Jr., Jill, Bill Microsoft was, was young, at the same time, his grandfather was involved with eugenicism. And, you know, people don't understand that eugenicism uh, and the Rockefeller Foundation and many people in the Gilded Age, and it wasn't just Planned Parenthood, it was, it was a business model of how to use people and how to commodify them and what elitists thought of the serfs that were out there, you know, and, and in the book, and I forget whose quote it was, you'll, you'll probably remember these quotes, but somebody talked about, well, you know, this isn't like the 19th or the 18th century, it, it, implying people won't stand up. And when I read that quote, I thought, oh yes, they will, les miserables, they will stand up because the people are pushing back now. Whose quote was that? Because I thought that was interesting at the time. Yeah, Yuval Noah Harari. He's the the World Economic right. Forum visionary who's a real real sicko, um, but he's famous. I mean, he's world famous. He sold 30 million, 30 million copies of his book. He's got Sapiens and Homo Deus, God Man, um, and it's he's this guy who sort of thinks of uh, you know. I mean, and he could be right, which would be really terrifying. But you know, the predictions he makes, and Barack Obama like applauds him and loves him. Mark Zuckerberg loves him. Bill Gates loves him. Uh, and, and Klaus Schwab quotes him extensively, and he's a keynote lecturer and agenda setter at the World Economic Forum. He right. says that, uh, you know, the peasant revolts of the uh, previous centuries are just not possible now. And I agree with you. We can stand up. We can resist all, all of this craziness. But he, he says uh, COVID was critical. You know, he's got this great video. It haunts my dreams, actually. COVID was critical because it is what allowed people to accept 
total biometric surveillance. That's a verbatim quote. And he says, but what comes next is we need to not be monitoring what's happening above your skin. We need to be ha like monitoring what's happening below your skin. And so there, I mean, the pandemic was, uh, whether it like was intentional or whether it was an accidental leak from a lab or whether it came from nature. I mean, obviously everybody's got their opinions on different things. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I mean, it does, you could say it does, but it doesn't matter because what is true, factually provably true, is that they planned for a pandemic and they were well positioned to profit from one. And so they've mm -hmm. been planning pandemic, you know, pandemic planning for a long time. And so you don't actually even have to get into an argument with someone of whether COVID-19 was a pandemic or intentionally released because the evidence is going to be hard to prove. I mean, you know, if they did intentionally release it, you know, they would likely have covered their tracks uh, pretty well. But you don't even have to get into that argument. That, that, that will just lead nowhere. What you can say is that they planned for a pandemic and they were very well positioned to profit from one as they're planning for the next pandemic. I mean, Bill Gates's book, most recent book is called The Next Pandemic. So That's they right. are planning for a pandemic. You can say that credibly. You don't have to sound like a crazy person. They planned mm -hmm. for it. Uh, the Rockefeller uh, Foundation was planning for uh, like a coronavirus-like pandemic all the way back in 2010. Um, of course, you've got the, the and that's where the, uh, you know, the lockstep uh, strategy guide comes out. And it, this is 2010. Uh, Laura which, Ingram is right at, which is right after that meeting in May of 2019. Right, right. So that's what I was going to say 19. I meant to say 2009 at uh, yes. Rockefeller University. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So, so that was the May 2009, the very next year, the Rockefeller Foundation. I mean, that, that's why the book is so critical as it goes, you know, right in a chronological fashion. I wasn't sure, you know, do I just do vignettes of each of the characters? How do I organize the chapters? Like, I got to tell it like a story. Um, right. And it goes chronologically there. Now there's some flashbacks with what the Rockefellers have done for the past century relating to eugenics. I mean, they trained the Nazi scientists on eugenics. The, they were into eugenics in the 1910s and 20s. Right. Uh, long before the Nazi party was founded, they went and worked with the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute in Germany and trained the Nazis on eugenics. Um, and then once it became like, you know, associated with the Nazis, obviously it's a toxic term. And so they really just turned it into family planning, let's say, and certain groups need more family planning than others. But um, and, and they paid, you know, they paid public relations experts to your previous, your, your earlier point about, you know, these guys are masters and hire behavioral scientists. Like they, they hire behavioral scientists. They come up with the terms like family planning or women's health, maternal health, which really means killing babies. Um, but in any case, in selling the body parts, I mean, I, you know, talk about, uh, you know, in terms of the commodification, it's a very profitable business. Abortion uh, is a very profitable business. Um, and the Rockefellers have funded, uh, you know, the Hastings Center, for example, which is like this, the world's first bioethical institute. And what does the Hastings Center do? It, it puts out very scientific-y sounding, you know, white people in white coats wrote a paper saying that actually it is ethical to kill your offspring. Actually, it is ethical to euthanize people with Down syndrome or something. Right. Actually, it is ethical to sell uh, aborted fetal tissue, aka baby body parts. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they dress it up in very sciencey language, but this is how we've, uh, I mean, you know, giving, uh, teenagers, uh, hormone treatments. Yes, that's ethical. Um, you know, and, 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 uh, castrating, uh, 12 year olds is, is ethical. I mean, that's like, they fund these institutes that put out some sort of science thing that like that's ethical now. And, and because they said so, therefore it is. So, um, back to the May, 2009 meeting. So they come away from this meeting, the good club meeting. 
agreeing that overpopulation is the number one problem facing planet Earth. But why don't you ever hear them talking about it? Well, because it doesn't really have a good branding strategy. I mean, what do you tell people the solution is like kill your offspring? Nobody wants to hear that. Um, or don't that's, have why they, that, that's why they morph it into hunger and poverty, sustainability. And those those right. are words that, that 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 can cover what their intentions are for their own profit. They're going they're right. to profit off of the depopulation, whether they do it through pharma or whether they do it through fake meat or where they buy up the farms and control what you eat and what you can't eat or buy. Um, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting is, and, and you, you pointedly write about this in the book about, you know, having to change their, their, their persona to the public, you know, and, and getting, and their, their, yeah, they're they're greedy. Yes, they're successful businessmen. Yes, they commodify people. Yes, they create reoccurring economic models that have made them very very wealthy, or they really want to control. But you know, then they get caught, then they get exposed, and then all of a sudden they become oh, the, you know, the the Mother Teresa's of philanthropy, and it's it's all fake. That is, and, and it was, I mean, they basically—they're claiming to be, you know, successful. They're willing to give, you know, fifty percent of all of their money away. I mean, when you really think about it and you understand the game that they're playing, you really realize that they're psychopaths. Okay, I, I'll say that. You don't have to say that because you didn't say it in the book, but I—but I will say that. I think that they're psychopaths because, but they brilliantly market themselves as after using people to make so much wealth. And, and really going after some of their competitors in ruthless ways. They then get caught, they get exposed, they lose control, whether it's Bill Gates with the DOJ and the antitrust, whether it's Soros, who really doesn't give a damn what anybody thinks of him. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, he, he consciously and without a conscious moves forward thinking that he has all the rights to the world of people's freedoms and not. Uh, and then they keep on moving, but they, they, but this is all for the good. They'll, they'll give it the open society. Zuckerberg will talk about Facebook as he collects the data and commodifies everybody that's on Facebook. He's, he's talking about, oh, we, we, this is for connectivity. I mean, right. who's getting whom at this point, you know? And again, I think it's kind of interesting, um, because it doesn't take a lot of brains Anybody who builds compounds and lives in compounds, I'm not talking for their professions. I'm talking about for their residential. You got to be a little bit off your rocker. A little bit off the rocker when, when you consider what Zuckerberg's building in Hawaii and what Gates has built in Washington. And what, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost like there's no, there's no in touch with reality. Did you walk away from thinking that when you got that the, the, there's certain patterns for this type of makeup of uh, billionaires, and it's not every yeah, you have yeah, yeah, it's not billionaires every. that are sane. Yeah, there's only there's only thirty or so control oligarch billionaires in the book. Out of the thirty one hundred, there are globally. So right. the vast vast majority uh, of glo I mean, this isn't like an anti capitalist screed in any way. Um, the vast majority are, are good are good people, as far as I know. 
Um, but these guys are, you know, have a very certain, I mean, I won't, <laughs> I won't call them so, uh, sociopaths or psychopaths, but go watch the video of George Soros interviewing with Steve Croft of 60 minutes. If you haven't seen this, it's a must watch. Um, right. it's where he describes his experience as, uh, working for the Nazis to dispossess his fellow Jews of their property during the, uh, Holocaust. It's a, it's a really it's sick video because Steve Croft asked George Soros, he's like, well, um, this, you know, an experience like that, he's like, so wait a second, you sent fellow Jews to the death camps and you took their property, you know, as a 14 year old boy. Right. And, and George Soros goes, yeah, that's right. And Steve Croft goes, uh, that sounds like an experience that would send most people to the psychiatric couch couch. And George right. Soros with this really like weird, I mean, like quite possibly demonic grin is says, not at all. You know, this idea, I had no problem with it at all, um, because if it wasn't me doing it, someone else would be doing it. And that's like the classic thinking of a lot of these, these people in the book is like, if it's, if I'm not going to be commodifying people, well, somebody else will be, it's like, not necessarily, uh, you don't like that. That is a, the good, that, that golden rationale types thinking where like, you know, you can't be wrong. Um, and there's a lot of other clips in that Steve Croft interview where, he, you know, George Soros more or less admits to having something wrong with him um in terms of like bankrupting entire nations and he's like well you know it's 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 fine because i'm doing well or something so um you know it's it's, it's, it's disturbing it's yeah it's, and, and same thing with bill gates i mean you got to watch the uh so i you know i went through all of the interviews so you know so you don't have to read the book but uh i went you know watched hundreds and hundreds of hours of interviews with these guys and read all of the memoirs and the books and the memoirs of their their relatives uh bill gates is uh, in antitrust deposition. And there's like, you know, there's some short clips, like 30 second ones, but you got to watch the full ones where he's sitting there and he's kind of getting grilled on Microsoft's business practices. And I mean, he, he makes, uh, you know, Bill Clinton look honest, um, where he's, and he's able to just like say, well, I don't know what you mean by that. And right. like, you don't right. know what you mean by, you know, you, you cut off the air supply to your competitors. It says it right here in the email. He's like, Hmm, I don't know. So, I mean, there's, there's a level of deception with these guys that is, uh, uh, but beyond anything I've seen with it, even politicians. I mean, politicians are are certainly dishonest. But uh, well, they they it, it, you know when you refer to that deposition that was filmed with Bill Gates, <clears throat> and I remember watching when it first came out. I was thinking, well, he's not as smart and he's not as courageous as he thinks it, that he is. But you know they 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 certainly you give them a mic you put them on a stage at a TED talk you put them at Davos with some other guys in the room, and and the thing is that people flock to them because of the money or they flock to them because they have the microphone, but at the same time, you know it, what comes across is that they're pretty heartless, cold, empty suits in terms of compassion and for humanity. And the irony of this, and this is why I want people to read this book. A lot of people have bought into the fact that, you know, okay, we have to clean up, there's climate change, there's hunger, there's poverty, there's commodification, there's trafficking, there's human suffering, there's human misery, in migrations, in war zones, et cetera. But these are not the people that have the answers because at the same time, you know, we, we all know the value of capitalism. At the same time, these people made their money off of capitalism, but they are now turning it into almost serfdom. You know, it's it's an AI serfdom that they have that they're going to profit from. So 
they're moving us away from capitalism, yet they're hypocrite, hypocrites because they, in fact, made their money off of capitalism. And you, 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 you pull that so clearly in this book, Seamus. That's why I want people to read it, because you give the profiles and the personal um, fabric of the flavor to their personalities, which I think is great. I really do. I think it's a great book. I think it's a great book. So do you want to add anything for people to know how to uh, tell people how they can buy it? I know it's been out since November. I know it's it's out there. Uh, is Amazon selling it? Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, you know, it's hard to it's hard to, hard know, to get it's, around it, isn't it? It's yeah. hard to get around it. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book is because the Amazon monopoly. But it is in, you know, I I go check bookstores. You know, I don't know which bookstores it's in, but I went to a books a million. Uh, you know, it was in my local books a million. I would recommend going to a local store. But um, otherwise, there's a, you can go to controlagarksbook.com. That's got all of the retailers. I mean, there's Powell Books and uh, Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. Uh, there's a um, bookshop. If you go to bookshop.org, uh, that one gives a cut of the proceeds to local book retailers. I've not actually investigated how that works, but seems to be like better than Amazon. So um, Amazon will be the cheapest and fastest delivery if you're trying to get it under under the Christmas tree uh, in a day. But um, anyhow, yeah, it's it's uh, at all at all retailers more or less. Or you can go to controlagarksbook.com. I'll put uh, snippets of uh, my interviews and articles. I've written a bunch of articles on the stuff in the book um, at that website. Okay, and we will be linking to that when we post this interview. At the same time, Seamus, what about uh, foreign rights? Are they going to distribute overseas? Because I think it's a book that the global audience needs to read. Yeah, Bulgaria, actually, uh, I just got a notice from my uh, publisher that Bulgaria wants the rights. So um, it, it's it, it, it was uh, control oligarchs. It was a, a, a term I coined. It was the number one new word, according to Sky News Australia, of the year for 2023. They did a poll of some kind. Um, so Australians love it. I mean, it actually is a better book for overseas because in the U.S., a lot of U.S. you know Americans are kind of like, oh, yeah, this can't really happen here. Well, just go look at Australia. Go look at Ireland. Go look at Europe. Uh, all of these things, the digital ID, the social credit score, um, you know, the the restrictions of your movements and the monitoring of your transactions, it's all already happening there. So I've gotten some really great feedback from uh, other countries. India, I mean, no country really uh, knows Bill Gates and the, the sinister things he can do better than India. He's He's done a bunch of uh, human experiments, basically, in India and Africa. He absolutely so I got has. And I ran into Bill Gates uh, five years into covering human trafficking in India for the shots that were given to the prostitutions when the when he the supposedly HPV. was fighting uh, human trafficking, but he was financing the legalization of prostitution. It was a yeah. very interesting time. And I know that there were people in the anti-human trafficking world as high up as the ambassador running the State Department uh, office at that point in time. It took him eight months to convince Bill Gates that that's not the way to fight human trafficking. So he's, yeah. he has a long history, you know, um, of claiming to be doing something. And then at the very end, it, when you find out and you dive deep, like you have, it's not altruistic whatsoever. No, Seamus, thank you very, very much for, for joining us today. I know it's it's tight because you 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 have a little child um, and you, it's Christmas holidays and the New Year's, but I just wanted to have you on because I want people to know that, you know, I fully endorse this book. I think it's a book that should be underneath every Christmas tree. It's very, very close. Doesn't matter, put it, you know, bring it in on the New Year's, but everybody needs to read this book and, and get up to speed. 
with the new, I guess we call them the, instead of the, the gilded age, the nihilism age, where anything goes for these guys who make profit and want to commodify everybody on earth and sell us, you know, just buckets of climate change AI when in fact it may all be a fraud. Seamus, Bruner, thank you. Thank you so much, Christine. This was my uh, my pleasure. So anytime, I'd love to, let's, let's talk more because I'd love to work with you. Absolutely. All right. God bless. God bless. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.